Hi! Before introducing today's guest, and to celebrate two years of Papa PhD, I'd like to extend an invitation directly to you. If you have a question about one of the episodes of Papa PhD, or if you'd like me to connect you with the people you hear on the podcast, or even if you'd like to contribute in any way to Papa PhD with suggestions or even content, email me at david at papaphd.com. I'm currently thinking about season three and it's time to brainstorm, so don't hesitate. Now, talking about things changing, in this week's episode, my guest, Katie Wedemeyer Strombel, talks about all that has changed for her in these last two years professionally and about how she dealt with the sudden change and uncertainty the COVID pandemic brought onto the industry she works in and onto her own career journey. Because I always liked teaching, I did seek out extra teaching opportunities and curriculum development opportunities as a PhD student. Not everybody does that. Not everyone's interested in that, but that too, right? That all counts as professional experience. I was in charge of developing a curriculum for courses as an as a PhD student. I can write that on my C, on my CV or on my resume. I can write I have curriculum development experience and I have been doing it for the last five years. Was my job title learning experience designer like it is now? No, but that's exactly what I was doing in that role. So so many of the other tasks that we do have resume line items that are a big deal and really valuable in the like corporate world. Welcome to Papa PhD with David Mendez, the podcast where we explore careers and life after grad school with guests who have walked the road less traveled and have unique stories to tell about how they made their place in a world of constantly evolving rules. Get ready to go off the beaten path and hop on for an exciting new episode of Papa PhD. Welcome to this week's episode of Papa PhD. This week I have with me Katie Wiedermeyer Strombel. Katie loves to spend time outdoors with her husband and dog and believes that she has mastered baking the perfect chocolate chip cookie. She holds a PhD in environmental science from the University of Texas, El Paso, where she combined the social and natural sciences to study conservation of endangered sea turtles. Katie has a strong background in, in, in informal education, having worked at a zoo prior to graduate school and having pursued SciComm workshops throughout her education. She accidentally gained a lot of Twitter followers through sharing her graduate school journey and became an advocate for improved working conditions for graduate students. Katie has 10 years of professional experience in education program management, content development, and writing and editing that spans the nonprofit, academic, and corporate sectors. Currently, she works with professors to help them translate their university level classes into interactive, asynchronous online courses for high school students. That promote, major and, that promote major and career exploration. In her transition to industry, she learned that she thrives in a dispersed, complex work environment, is most at home in mission-driven corporations, and values employers who prioritize their team's well-being. Welcome to Papa PhD, Katie. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. I'm really, really happy uh, that you're here. 
we 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 talked. We've uh, we've had some conversations before this interview, and um, well, b- before going into the, the the meat of of what we're going to talk about, uh, maybe I will just let you uh, introduce yourself. Talk quickly about your your academic journey. You know how, why you got attracted to the domain that that you uh, that you studied, and then uh, maybe just uh, also quickly how then you transitioned to the non-academic space. Yeah, so uh, I'm originally from Southern California, a small little beach town named called Summerland, actually, and um, I grew up on the beach and I loved being outside and in the water and just was kind of always fascinated with the ocean. Um, I ended up going to uh, UC San Diego for my undergraduate degree where I studied uh, a few different things. I started out as a a pre-dental major, actually. I was going to be an orthodontist and then uh, decided that that was definitely not for me after a few few quarters of school and ended up switching into um, uh, ecology, behavior and evolution because I just always loved... Quite a change. (laughs) Yeah. So I just really liked animals and I liked the idea of studying something that allowed me to go outside. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I did that, uh, majored in that. Um, When I graduated, I had no idea what I wanted to do, though. I didn't really know what a career meant with that kind of a major. Mm -hmm. I I just (laughs) didn't have a lot of direction. I just knew that I liked science and I really liked communicating science. I love talking to people about what I had learned. So I started interning for an environmental nonprofit called Ocean Connectors that brings Uh, environmental education to underfunded and underprivileged school districts in the border regions of San Diego. So I got some really great training and experience of taking science to these schools that didn't have a lot of resources. Um, And I fell in love with students uh, when they'd have those aha moments and, Mm. uh, you know, you'd uh, teach them something and you can see their whole face light up. uh, And it just uh, made me so excited and inspired to teach the next class to get them excited mm-hmm. about that as well. <laughs> um, so I was starting to understand like, okay, I really like this education aspect. And I I started thinking, well, maybe I want to be like a K-12 teacher. Uh, I like mm-hmm. working with kids. It's fun for me. Um, and I just kind of through that connection uh, got offered a job at a small zoo and aquarium. Uh, it, was, oh, wow. it was a small nature center, but had live uh, fish and um, birds and lots of species that were native to Southern California. And I got hired to be the lead educator there. And I developed all of their fee-based education programs and then helped oh. run them for three years. And again, I just got so excited working with kids and developing curriculums to get kids outside and to get them just so excited uh, about nature and animals around them. Um, through that, I was starting to to really really lean into, okay, well, maybe I want to work at zoos. Maybe this is what I want to do, be an educator, work at zoos. Um, One of the animals we happened to have at the nature center were uh, sea turtles. We had a couple of sea turtles. So I got to regularly like take them out of the tank. They were babies at the time. So they were easy to lift and um, just got really interested because I knew that we didn't know a lot about sea turtles. I knew that they uh, migrated to places that I would like to travel to. So I speak Spanish as a second language, and I knew that they lived through Latin America. Um, and so through that connection uh, with the Nature Center and with the other nonprofit I had been working with, I actually got an internship working with the uh, United States National Marine Fishery Service. So I got to work uh, directly with their sea turtle research program in San Diego Bay. 
I learned a lot about sea turtle research. I met some really fantastic people who uh, were government scientists studying sea turtles, and they got to go all over the world talking about their science, doing their science. So I thought, aha, I think I could do this. Um, and what really inspired my PhD was the combination of being really interested in where are sea turtles going? Why are they going there? How can we better understand them? Coupled with, I love communicating science. I love teaching, but I'd like to better understand where knowledge comes from so that I can better communicate it. Um, now, I definitely didn't need a PhD for that. A master's probably would have been okay. Uh, I originally applied to a master's program at Texas A&M. I got accepted, went on my visits for recruitment there, and then uh, decided after talking to some professors, got convinced to just start with a PhD, start for a PhD right away. Um, my advice to students in that would be do a master's and then decide if you want to go on to a PhD. In hindsight, I think that would have been the best path for me. Um, so I started my PhD at Texas A&M in a marine biology program. Uh, after my second year, I ended up uh, walking away from that lab because I did not get along with the professors and just was not a great learning environment for me, both uh, interpersonally and professionally. It wasn't really what I wanted to be doing. And the learning environment was just not a healthy environment for me. So mm -hmm. mm. I'm going to stop you there. Yeah. Really was, we're going, you know, a little bit fast on, on something quite important, which is the importance of allowing yourself to say this space, this lab, this institute is not a good fit for me. Yep. You know, how, you know, first, was it easy to decide to say, okay, I'm going to switch? Second, did you have resources or, or people who helped you take that decision, have that conversation? Because I'm sure it was not an easy one to have. It was really, really tough. It was one of the hardest things that I, one of the hardest decisions I've made in my adult life. Mm -hmm. um, I felt like a big failure when things weren't working out for me, even though it really was the environment. It wasn't necessarily that I was being a failure in all in all aspects. I was getting um, pretty much straight A's in all of my classes. I had a great mm -hmm. rapport with other professors, with the advisor of my whole, like with the uh, program advisor for the yeah. for that department. Um, I got a, in the United States, I got a National Science Foundation Graduate Research Fellowship, which is mm -hmm. one of our biggest grants you can get as a, um, at least as a STEM researcher. Um, and I was really scared and it was probably about halfway through my second year that I realized I am not happy. I wasn't sleeping through the night. I was having anxiety oh attacks okay. pretty much daily. Uh, didn't, you know, didn't want to go to, into school because I was afraid I was going to get in trouble for something that I did do or potentially something I didn't do. I never really knew which way it was going to go. And it just, mm -hmm. after a while, I would talk to some other professors that thankfully I had. Um, I TA'd for some other professors, taken a few classes, and so mm -hmm. and a few that were on my committee. So I knew them, and they knew me as a student. And I went to them and said, "This is what I'm experiencing. These are the expectations that I'm being told, and I I can't seem to ever meet them. The bar keeps moving, and I I just am not sure what to do here." And I was really thankful that they were very honest with me and said, "Like you are not in a healthy environment. This is not okay. This is not how graduate school should be." Um, mm -hmm. And so that was like invaluable to have the other professors, one, tell me, no, like this is not normal for graduate school. You know, mm -hmm. emotional abuse is not normal. It's 
it happens more often. It's more way more common than people talk about, but it doesn't mean that yeah. it's okay. Um, and so I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. I had a, a funded dissertation project that I had developed and got funded myself. I had another like research project in the works and I had to walk away from that and start over again. I did get to take mm -hmm. my fellowship with me, which was really great. It's a, one of the best things I think about that fellowship program is that it goes directly to the student. So the advisors can't take it away from you if you leave their lab. Mm -hmm. um, so when I realized that I just didn't feel safe going back to that space, it was just emotionally not a safe space for me. I went to the program advisor and said, you know, I'm not sure what to do here. I don't feel like I can go into that. And they said, well, you can leave that lab. That's an option. Until they told me that, I had never heard of someone else leaving a lab. I had never heard that that was an option. I didn't know that we weren't stuck. Like I felt so stuck. Like I signed up for this PhD program. It's seven years. I have to do this. And it was so freeing to be told, actually, you have a choice. If this is unsafe for you, you can you can leave. You can find another mm -hmm. advisor. Um, and so I did. I walked away after my second year, walked away from a lot of data and some projects I had started. And that whole summer, I didn't have a lab. I was just TAing and kind of labless. I uh, mm -hmm. found a lab earlier the next year with a fantastic professor who I'm just so thankful that I got to work with. She cultivates such a great, healthy, balanced uh, environment for her students and worked with her at Texas A&M for a year. And then we, she took a job at uh, University of Texas El Paso, where, we, where I followed her okay. to and then finished. Um, the best thing for me that came out of that whole transition was leaning on my support network, recognizing to ask for help and to lean on my support network. And really learning about my mental health. My mental health was not something I ever thought about before grad school, really. But it forced me to because I could just tell that I like something was so off with me. And that was when I finally started uh, going to therapy to get some insight to sort out kind of this trauma that I experienced um, to recalibrate what is grad school supposed to be like? What is the professor-student relationship supposed to be like? Mm -hmm. And that's when I really started being vocal on, on Twitter was a little while after that, talking about leaving my lab. And, um, you know, I wrote my very first blog post I ever wrote was grad students, you're not stuck, you can make a change. And I draw the analogy, you know, if one of our friends that graduated undergrad with us went to work in a bank and they mm -hmm. signed up for, you know, they're going to say, I'm going to work there for five to seven years. That's my, I'm going in with that <laughs> mindset because in the US, that's at least in my field was what our the PhD range was. But if someone was working for a bank, a friend of mine, and they said, I have anxiety attacks every day, I don't sleep, I'm miserable, my boss is makes a really toxic work environment, we wouldn't tell them, well, you signed up for five to seven years to work in that bank, you are not allowed to leave, we'd say get another job, go somewhere else. But for some reason, in graduate school, you feel like such a failure, if you don't just stick it out. And so one of the things I advocate a lot for is like the importance of prioritizing one's mental health and well-being in graduate school, the importance of work-life balance and making a change if you need to. It's Yeah, if I extract two things is your mental health should be first and second try to 
because when you start a PhD, you don't know. You know, you it's it's rare people who's doing a, a person who's doing a second PhD, especially in STEM. It's it's rare, right? Right. So you don't you don't know these things. You feel this admiration for your supervisor very often, uh, and you know there's kind of this uh, master disciple type thing yeah. going on, and you can be blinded by that. Absolutely. And I think your story shows that yes, it's good to have like uh, intellectual admiration for the people you know who you're working for and even for people uh, you know who postdocs in the lab etc who are probably very brilliant but if your body and and is telling you that something's very wrong take care of that first i i i can i cannot agree more with you and, and i'm super happy that 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 we talked about this because um mental health numbers in graduate school are are not a, a good <laughs> are not very good yeah, absolutely, and are still not very good after after years of people knowing that that it's hard. Although I see now universities have woken, uh, you know, are waking up to it and are bringing more resources to students. And uh, I hear talk of uh, getting training for for PIs. Although I know supervisors and PIs have a lot on their mind, and some of them are on the tenure track, and it's it's you know, it's it's very stressful. But I at least. Uh, the the fact that you hear talks of universities being aware of these things and and setting up offices for you know for graduate students yep. and even to develop career skills right which is also something that when I when I uh, went to my PhD there, there wasn't and I and now there there are things happening right. interesting things I think it's it's very good but yeah the 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 main thing is you are uh, you're a grown up as a PhD. And think about it like like you said, if you were at at a company and they were mistreating you, you'd just leave for another job. You know, your people around you would say, leave, leave that place, you're, you're going to find a job somewhere else. And somehow, because you come to a PhD from school and there's this thing of, disciple, of being a, a disciple or a, or a kind of subordinate, mm -hmm. there's something, something in the mindset that makes you feel that maybe I'm the one who's wrong. And I should just, uh, you know, power through this and and ignore uh, what I'm feeling. And, and it can be a very dangerous error to make. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I know, you know, the navigating that and trying to move to a different department and find a professor to work with within the same university and then switching universities and having to build a whole new network, you know, leaving my cohort behind, leaving all the other professors I had worked with behind. That was tough, but it did teach me a lot of lessons that have been valuable since as I've been navigating kind of post-graduation um, through my job, through my company, just learning how to network within, you know, my one little piece of where I am and how to network kind of across and and um, leverage those networks uh, to my benefit has been a really great lesson. Um, hard, hard learned. I would have liked to have learned it in a different way, like maybe in a professional development course, but it mm -hmm. was, um, you know, it, it, it has proven helpful in other aspects, um, yeah. which I'm, which I'm thankful for. And, and one thing, tell me if you agree, if you, because one of the things that I, I remember, I, I'm a shy, I'm shy, you know, I'm, I'm not an extrovert and, it wasn't easy for me to say to think I was gonna or to imagine I was gonna talk with a professor from another department. I found nice, but it's important to have, like you said, that the head of the program was some someone you you felt you could confide in, yep. and and go talk about this. But 
find someone who can maybe not maybe not all the way to champion you but to if you find that someone around the the institute or or the university a, a professor treats the students in a way that you find is is nice and that you you find that you could have a rapport with them establish a relationship and and because at these moments being or feeling alone can also be very uh, can increase the anxiety and and the stress and can increase the spotlight on you of thinking oh the error is in me absolutely that was so huge to have the the support of the the program advisor as well as a few other faculty members when i was looking for another professor to work with i would say you know i'm i'm i've left my former lab it was not the right environment for me if you want details please talk to and i would name the the director of the of the program because i felt like coming from me i didn't want it to feel like i was causing drama or mm-hmm. you know being a student that one pushback i get when i tell my story a lot is well grad school supposed to be hard and i say yes it's supposed to be intellectually challenging it's not supposed to be traumatic and there's a difference there you go <laughs> and um and so you know i would i had the a couple different professors who were then the same level as the new professors i was looking to work with who could vouch for me and advocate for me and say no that really was not a good environment for her she's mm-hmm. a good student i recommend you work with her so that was invaluable to have both their support tell, letting me know that I was doing the best I could, that I could be successful at this, kind of cheering me on, but also advocating for me to their peers so that um, I could find another professor to work with. So yeah, definitely finding that support and um, allowing them to, if someone that I wanted to work with wanted more details, I didn't have mm-hmm. to relive it. They would hear it from another professor at their same level. Yeah. Yeah, and the way to gauge is if, if you see students that come out of a lab, the, you know, besides yours, and you see that they're, they're, you know, they feel they're happy. They talk, they, you know, they talk about their research, but they have a life. Maybe that's a person that, that that's a supervisor you might look to 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 have a chat with. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, yeah, that's it's just mm. spot on. Uh, now, okay, so now let's fast forward because. Why, one of the things that I was uh, that I'm really looking forward to talking with you is what came after uh, your PhD, and uh, because we've just come out of 2020, uh, COVID hit the whole uh, the whole world, you know, very hard. Universities also in in you know in, in a lot of places with uh, with hiring freezes and PhD programs, uh, especially uh, in humanities, stopping to take uh, students. There's a lot of uh, pressure uh, and and trauma also for some people that has been happening. But um, I know because we were check- we were chatting uh, before that in your case, um, and you can talk a little bit about what you do. It it affected you. Uh, in a particular way, uh, but uh, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna let you talk about it uh, first about how you you transitioned from from uh, academia to to the to non to non academic mm-hmm. <laughs> to the non academic space. But then, uh, and I'm and I'm I'm, t- I'm talking now to the listener. We're gonna talk about what happens once you get that first job and you you're in an organization. And you feel that you maybe want to evolve in the organization because I think it's this is the, you know private the private sector is kind of a black box for graduates for a lot of us that especially in universities because there's now universities who have uh, who include internships in their PhD and and this makes it 
much easier to, to transition because you've been there, you've you've seen the culture, you've you've heard the language. But for a lot of us who've been just like at the bench and now are transitioning, we really don't know what to expect and we really don't know how, you know, after that first job that can maybe not uh, pay us the salary that we had envisioned, how we can evolve then from within uh, a company or from one position to another. So first, yeah, how you did the transition and then this 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 thing that happened in the last year that you that I think kind of encapsulates this whole question of evolving within an organization and and, and changing within. Yeah, absolutely. So I graduated in May 2019. Um, my uh, my partner graduated at the same time with his bachelor's degree. He was a non-traditional student, went back to school later. Um, so we actually graduated at the same time. And in that last year leading up to graduation. I was just couldn't imagine applying for postdocs. I was so burnt out. I just needed so badly to crawl to the finish line to get the dissertation done and defended that I couldn't even fathom writing a grant or a postdoc proposal. I didn't want to start another project. I was just really burnt out and was really excited to be done with my last project that I'd been working on for seven <laughs> years. And um, and so we started working uh, for Kaplan Test Prep which uh, does SAT, ACT test prep, GRE test prep, MCAT test prep is kind of what they're best known for. There's actually a, a mm -hmm. lot of facets and that company has since changed to Kaplan North America and has okay. a wide variety of work that it does. Um, but I started working as a part-time SAT tutor to high school students while I mm -hmm. was finishing my dissertation. My partner and I were both full-time students. We were living off of my graduate student income, which is mm. hard for one person, let alone a dual household. So <laughs> uh, we needed some extra income and we both liked teaching. So we actually both were part-time tutors for this company. And mm. I loved teaching again. I had so much fun. High school students are so eager and excited and they were starting their higher education journey. I was finishing mine. So it was just mm. nice to see people excited about higher education because I was just so excited to be done. Yeah. Um, once I finished that summer, we decided to move from Texas to Colorado to be near family. We knew that we wanted to live in a place that we chose. We had been following school around for seven years, lived in places that were not our favorite didn't have the activities we liked doing, like hiking and going in water and being outside most mm. of the year. <laughs> and that's a really important piece that I didn't consider when I chose graduate school. I chose the program and the professor, not what's going to make me happy and what environment mm. do I want to be in. And so we were like, well, we have part-time jobs. We make enough money that we can live off those. And Honestly, I needed a break from work being my whole life like it had been for grad school. So I had the best summer after graduation, making my own yeah. schedule, working part time, taking weekdays off to go into state parks and just enjoy life again. <laughs> um, and so I worked part time and then come fall, that first fall after I graduated, I was going, all right probably time to look for a full-time job. I need some mm -hmm. I need some health insurance, which obviously in the US is an issue if you're not a full-time employee, employee. Mm -hmm. And when I first started this part-time position, I had met with some of the supervisors saying, you know, I love the culture here. I love the work-life balance it promotes. I love that the mission is to help students. I like that we put student needs first and that, you know, we really care about that. Um 
And I had talked with a supervisor, just said, you know, when I'm graduated, I might be interested in being full time there. When I first graduated, I was like, nope, still want to do part time, want to just kind of have fun for a while. But then that fall came around and I reached back out to that same supervisor and said, you know, I'm ready for a full time job. If any are coming available, I'd love to start. Please let me know. And um, and sure enough, in September of 2019, their full time job as a a teacher manager, so managing okay. the dispersed workforce, like the part-timers that I was previously, it was managing those positions throughout uh, North America. And so I got hired on full-time to be in charge of our in-person tutoring program. So we'll note, I started started working with uh, managing in-person tutors across the United States and Canada in September of 2019. <laughs> um, oh, <yeah>. <laughs> and... <laughs> I loved it. I loved, I had like mostly a nine to five job. I worked from home full time. I got to, you know, uh, I got to have my weekends completely free. I got to disconnect. If I went on vacation, I got to put up an out of office email and I was expected to not <laughs> check it at all, which totally blew my mind. Oh my gosh. Um, but then COVID hit in March. And we halted all of our in-person tutoring programs, of course, for the safety of our students and our tutors. So now I didn't have a program to manage. Uh, in the meantime, my husband had also taken a full-time job at the same company. So now we had all our eggs in this one basket. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, he manages online programs. So his job was oh, okay. growing. <laughs> um but I, you know, was concerned. I recognized right away, like, ooh, I don't know how much longer my position will be here because I don't think this is going away very quickly. Of course, of course. Uh, so I, within my organization, I reached out to people that did things like um, we had a group that was putting out free webinars for K-12 and, and college teachers on how to transfer your teaching to the digital, to the online environment, something we had been mm -hmm. doing at Kaplan for many years. Um, so I said, Hey, I love teaching. I love being on camera or I love helping with webinars. How can I help? And so I got to work with like three different directors of different programs within my organization. I was a behind the scenes person facilitating the chat in the zoom call. I wrote a couple blog posts that they published on their mm -hmm. website. Um, so I got to know some like higher ups in these different arms within my same company. And then we were teaching all of our in-person tutors, okay, we got to teach everyone Zoom. Let's create some Zoom mm -hmm. trainings. I had been tutoring in Zoom for a couple years with uh, with the same company, used it regularly for my full-time job. So I felt real comfortable. And again, I loved teaching. So I volunteered and said, hey, I would love to help with the Zoom trainings. So I helped build out Zoom trainings. We sold them to some other universities so that they could oh. use them as well. I helped train some of our tutors in that. So that was another new skill. So now I had facilitated webinars, written educational blog posts, helped develop training curriculum. And I had networked with four, five, six different directors of different pieces within this company. and. Then a couple months after, while I was doing that, I found out that I was furloughed and my pay was going to be cut uh, 20% or no. Yeah, I was going down to 80% of my normal pay. I was only going to be working four days a week. So I was going, okay, this is supposed to last for a few months now, but I'm yeah. really worried about my job. And now I'm making less money than my husband who has a bachelor's degree. I have my PhD. I was, that was a pretty big hit. Made me... Mm -hmm. Uh, frustrated. <laughs> um, of course. 
But what I did is I started looking at other companies that had, you know, I had all these new goals in like the three months since COVID hit. And when I got furloughed, I started having, I had all these new skills in education, Mm -hmm. new skills that had resume line items. A lot of these skills I also did during my PhD. I just didn't know how to frame them in a way that would be marketable. That's funny because that's what I was going to ask you is how how would how do you think the fact that you you came with this, this PhD background helped you be able to kind of have this Swiss Army knife of skills to offer your team in a moment of crisis? Everyone was like you know scrambling to deal with with the COVID the COVID question, and and Katie comes and says, "Well, I can help with this." And I can help with that, you know, because one of the things that you hear a lot when talking with people who who transition or who are thinking of transition or or faced with the fact that they're going to have to transition outside of academia is there's a period of grief of leaving this family and this this universe that was academia that you were in and that you were so, you know, so implicated in for so, so long. Plus, after there's this grief that I think is unjustified or not totally justified of oh my gosh did i lose this these 6 years or 5 years of my life am i not you know going to be able to use the skills i developed during my phd and i think what you're saying is that this is not true yeah and it was a great lesson for me because i had a lot of grief and resentment towards my phd and i've most recently just even gotten over it now it's taken therapy and a lot of self-reflection and a lot of realizing that I did learn really valuable skills that just in academia aren't highlighted as much, right? I have published papers. I have grants to my name. People where I work now don't care, but (laughs) I'm really resourceful. If you need something figured out, I know how to do the research to figure out what the best way to do it is. You need me to jump in somewhere. I mean, I did a lot of field work in remote locations uh, where I had very, like I had no internet access, very little contact with my mentors or anyone outside of where I was located. So I had to MacGyver a lot of stuff. I had to figure (laughs) it out as I went. What do I need to do here? I don't know. Let's troubleshoot it. Let's ask for help where we can. And so, Mm -hmm. um, you know, PhDs are great writers. We're good at analyzing things. We're good editors. We, you know, I love giving, I love giving presentations and doing speeches. So like jumping in front of a camera is really easy for me. It's not for everyone in that world, but it's a a skill that I love. Um, I, you know, took a lot of science communication workshops. I won my university's three minute thesis competition. I Mm -hmm. wrote articles for the Chronicle of Higher Education. I wrote publications, um, you know, in, um, academic publications. So I have all these different skills, writing, editing, research, n- uh, networking, collaboration, thinking on your feet. Those are all skills that you learn that you kind of underplay in academia because it doesn't necessarily, you know, it does, it's not your research record or other pieces. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and I had written curriculums. I had written quizzes. I knew how to do assessments because as a TA, I learned those things. Um, because I always liked teaching, I did seek out extra teaching opportunities and curriculum development opportunities as a PhD student. Not everybody does that. Not everyone's interested in that, but that too, right? That all counts as professional experience. I was in charge of developing a curriculum for courses as an, as a PhD student. I can write that on my C, on my CV or on my resume. I can write, I have curriculum development experience and I have been doing it for the last five years was my job title learning experience designer like it is now? 
No, but that's exactly what I was doing in that role. So, so many of the other tasks that we do have resume line items that are a big deal and really valuable in mm-hmm. the like corporate world. Um, yeah, and so well, just one point. One thing that's interesting is that clearly you had established once you had finished your PhD, you, you kind of moved into this position from a position from a position of already knowing the organization yep. and that doesn't happen that doesn't happen for everyone but one of the things that that I'm hearing and and this and what you said I have 5 years experience of curriculum development this is in a language that someone in your organization today can understand and and relate to yep versus I published this 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 ITA blah 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 this is just just on its own it's not going to talk uh to to a, a person in the domain that you are so i think this this uh, talks about the importance of reframing and and especially having taking time rewriting or or writing a, a resume that talks to uh maybe to points on a job description that you see you need to adapt the language you need to take what you did in your phd Forget the language, just keep the concepts and then look at a job description and see, okay, this bullet point, can I can I write something that talks specifically to that? Yeah. And and I think what you said talks exactly to that point. And it's an exercise. It's something that you'll need to practice and 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 maybe write first drafts and show it to someone and then work on it until and until it it's it's in the right language for these these new people who are going to look at your cv or not cv but resume absolutely and and i knew the language within my company but once i was furloughed i did start looking at other education companies to see i didn't really even know what like my current position is learning experience designer um mm-hmm. i didn't know the term for that so i was on linkedin i had no idea what to search for um <laughs> And I just started looking in different education companies and looked at the skills that they wanted. I didn't look at the job title. I looked at the skills that they wanted. One of the things that was tough for me to do that I wish I would have started doing in grad school was putting together a portfolio of syllabi I had created, any um, guest guest lectures, any outreach lectures that I had done, maybe to K-12 or you know to undergrad classes, so that I have a lot of places, at least in what I do, they want a portfolio. Okay, what content have you created? I'm like, well, I have published papers. That's not what they want. Like they want to <laughs> no. see like that's, you know, so it was something that thankfully, you know, I don't not not often going to say this, but thankfully due to COVID, when I found all those other opportunities within my company to contribute, I started to create a portfolio where I could share a link to here mm-hmm. are webinars that I helped grow participation from 30 to 300. Here are blog posts and video tutorials that I have done. Here's a Zoom training that I helped create. So mm-hmm. I had a portfolio that I could show about my work. Um, mm-hmm. And that was really helpful. I totally bombed a few interviews because I just didn't know how to talk about my experiences to a new company that didn't know my background. I did learn pretty quick that if I had interviews where they were more interested in my cool sea turtle work than my actual skill set, that they weren't at, they just wanted to hear about my cool sea turtle work. And they, I wasn't really a candidate for any first interview I had where they said, Oh, tell me more about your field work. I never got past that stage. And I never feel like I, submitted the same resume and cover letter, you know, tailored cover letter, but more or less the same to all of those. But yeah, I found um, 
if they were asking me about like, how have you applied what you did in grad school to the corporate world? Like, tell me more about that. I was more likely to get another interview. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things PhDs are great at is solving problems, right? That's such an incredible skill that we've learned because that's pretty much all we do the whole time is solve problems. And that was something where how I was able to integrate my fieldwork experience, you know, I was in a remote place. I didn't have resources. If a problem happened, I had to be resourceful and figure it out. And I would give some specific examples of when that happened, focusing on the problem solving, not the research, not the question I was trying to answer, but what was the problem and what was the solution I came up with and how did I do that? So instead of framing of, I went there to study sea turtles and collect stabilized isotope samples, I would say, well, (laughs) we weren't sure how to do this one piece of the fieldwork and I needed a new tool. So I had to ask for help for people around me. We had to collaborate on what are the different resources, and then we had to implement a solution. And so I could really focus on the problem solving and not the research aspect of it. And mm-hmm. I, that tended to resonate really well because it's an example a lot of people don't have. Mm-hmm. But it does show that, okay, that PhD experience does have some direct, direct application to the professional, the professional mm-hmm. world. No, sure, and uh, and clearly one of these you, you mentioned two things: teamwork and problem solving. And I think today, especially with with COVID, so many companies have to adapt to changes that are happening quite quickly. And having some a new person coming into the company who has this kind of MacGyver superpower, yeah, <laughs> like you mentioned before, but at a, at a very you know a very high level of reflection and and of, sometimes of ab- abstraction. And and I've talked with people who are in data science, and that's even another level of okay, how do how we take this huge amount of data and make sense out of it? Well, uh, the brain of a PhD, and depending on, of course on the domain, right? Yeah. Because there's humanities PhDs, there's so many there's social sciences, but we're talking more STEM because that's where we come mm-hmm. from. It, it makes a lot of sense to give these examples. And one from for the listener, one thing that Katie said that's very very important is don't if you are if you are interviewing in the corporate side don't go into the details of the research really tell a story of there was a problem i i reflected about it i found resources and i and i fixed it and that's the most important i i it's it's yeah. I'm really happy that you mentioned that so you were looking for jobs outside your company you were interviewing and then something happened what was the next uh, so chapter? <laughs> i was also looking for jobs inside my company still too because i really like my company i like the culture there and i really like the people that i got to work with and and all those different projects i did i really it was all really positive experience for me and so i just every one of those directors i had worked with i said here's my resume i am looking if you hear of any internal opportunities please think of me and sure enough mm-hmm. two big ones came up that were for content development, so curriculum creation. And they were in two different kind of newer products that our company was working on. I applied to both of them. I got the first one, I got to the final interview, and then they went with someone else who had worked closely with that team prior. Um, So I was a little bummed. I was like, oh, I think that was my shot. But then the one that my position that I have now with Kaplan University Partnerships came up and my boss, you know, heard about it her boss heard about it. They both, before the job was even posted internally, because corporations can do that, um, mm-hmm. they recommended me to the director of this new program. Like, hey, we have this great person. She's got a PhD. I think she'd be a great fit. Here's her resume. Mm-hmm. You should talk to her. 
I had an interview the next day and I got hired three days later. Um, so it was kind of a whirlwind, but, um, you know, uh, the, I love my, like my job is one of the things I love about it is it my PhD is really valuable. So you don't need a PhD to do what I do as a learning experience designer. What that means is I work with professors and I take their college level or grad level courses and I help them translate them into um, high school level courses. And it's all okay. asynchronous online. And so uh, we've done climate change, science and advocacy. We've done a law course. We've done fashion courses. So we partner with universities all over the world from Parsons Paris to Georgetown mm-hmm. to Brandeis, um, several others. And so I work with professors every day in my job. I have Zoom meetings <laughs> with them. I get to chat with them. And I notice my very first meeting with them and I give my little elevator pitch over my little introduction and I say I have a PhD in environmental science. I've taught at the university. I've taught at zoos. I now work here doing this. I've been doing this for a few years now. As soon as they know I have a PhD, I have instant rapport. I don't have to earn it. (laughs) They trust me. And they know that I understand the limitations of the world that they work in too. I know that they have so much going on. If they're assistant professors and they're new to the tenure track, I know that they have so much going on and they're they're probably really stressed out because they're working Mm, towards mm. tenure. So I do my best to kind of the the advocacy that I did as a grad student, I carry that in now and I try to, you know, make the experience as positive as possible for professors. Um, I'm the only person on my team with a PhD. So I have been able to provide some valuable insight into the life of professors and what it means for them in academia and how can we make the our relationship with them, you know, as positive as can be so they want to continue working with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's been really great. It's made my it's helped make my PhD just feel so valuable, which mm-hmm. I really needed because for a while there I was feeling kind of like it wasn't that valuable, but it's um I can see that I it, that instant rapport is just huge because then we can get right down to work and uh you know, get to talk about the cool stuff that they're researching and all the lab work that they've been doing. And I, for me, I get to do my favorite part, which is how do we tell everybody about it? <laughs> mm-hmm. And and what I imagine happens also is not only, you know, how their lives, their research lives are and, and how, you know, how taxing they may, they can be. Also, I'm sure a lot of the conversations you have with them go much faster. There's, there's much more than doesn't, that doesn't need to be said just because you've had the experience you're coming from from there versus if they had to explain to someone who didn't have a PhD, you know, it, the, the process would be longer. This just makes me think, and we're getting to the end of the interview, mm-hmm. but I, I really, first, I thank you for sharing all you've shared. The, and, and thank you for sharing about mental health, something that's very dear to me. And, and, and I'm always so grateful when a guest is is open because you know it's it's hard it's not easy to talk about these things although the i think the taboo is kind of dissipating slowly slowly but yeah. surely and it's a very good thing but some you know someone like you coming coming out and talking about it is helping a lot to to dissipate it but what i was going to say i think this last year with covid with uh, a huge amount of and i'm doing air quotes yeah. science uh, be, you know, coming on the news, some saying some, one thing, some saying the opposite. I think people who have gone to graduate school and who like um, communicating or who like uh, knowledge transfer are going to be key in the next few years. The the, the importance of people like you, uh, be it in, in private organizations or in universities, 
uh, you know, being able to help uh, scientists and researchers bring their research to a level where it's just going to grow the the knowledge and the 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 general culture of the public is going to be so necessary and so precious, and and I think a lot of PhDs can will find the value of of what they did, even though they don't stay at the bench. I think society is going to need them a lot in the coming years. I don't know if you have thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things that I really love about my job is how many students will get to impact. You know, the students that we work with are um, our, our target audience are high schoolers, so 13 to 18 year olds. Um, and uh, but I love that we get to create these classes, right? We're talking about topics in the law class about Uh, what's an emotional versus an intellectual argument? What is a fact versus an opinion? Why does that matter? We we created a whole class on global health and pandemics, uh, not not focusing on COVID, but covering a lot of topics, um, you know, using different pandemics that we have a lot more solid data on because they've been around a lot longer, um, like tuberculosis. Mm-hmm. Tuberculosis was one of them, for example. But we talk about what are the different lenses to look through a pandemic? How do we Um, you know, what are the human rights aspects? What are the uh, policy? What's the economics? What's the epidemiology of it? And so we can really, you know, I, I feel very fortunate to be in a position where I'm getting to to contribute to what I hope mm-hmm. and what I think is a positive impact to the next generation coming up, um, both allowing them to kind of better understand what does it mean? What would it mean to major in these things, but also just providing them with some important kind of foundational lessons that uh, yeah. I, I wish I would have had earlier <laughs> in, yeah, in school. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Improve their critical thinking and make them better citizens, uh, you know, because they're, they're the grown-ups of the future for sure. Uh, Katie, we're getting to the end of the interview. And one thing that uh, I, I, I want to say in kind of, to kind of summarize is if you're, now transitioning to to the the private sector and the job there's a job opportunity it's not exactly what you want or if you're looking and you don't see the perfect one in the ones that you have uh, in front of you i would say you know leverage for example linkedin go look at people who whose academic career or academic journey looks like yours and are doing different things things that interest you Try to see uh, in those organizations if if you because you can get a feeling whether an organization promotes people to different spots and f- find an organization like that and you know what's the expression uh, they, they say they often say in shows is start start in the mailroom of course not in the mailroom but you know what I mean and then if you know that the culture is there in the company to promote people and to and to see value in someone and promote them to something very different and lo- that looks more with something that you'd like go you know start in the mailroom and then you have the, this this like swiss army knife <laughs> thing of being a phd of having uh, a curiosity of of having uh, an ease to learn quickly to learn a new domain to learn a new subject very quickly and this problem solving thing i think it's key for for uh, com- for corporations uh, for and for companies and for organizations today is people who are able to find solutions for problems that are unexpected and and to be creative there's a thing of creativity too but anyway i don't want to go in there yeah. the idea is sometimes there's companies who don't like they want to hire you for that position and if they see 
and I've heard this. PhD said, oh, but you're a PhD. You won't, you'll be bored after a year. You know, I don't think you're the good candidate for this. So I think there's a way to gauge if a, if a, if an organization has this culture and then choose, choose, choose that. You won't start exactly where you want, but then you'll prove yourself and you'll be able to, to uh, either laterally or vertically to, to, to ev- evolve in your career. Absolutely. I think that's a great way to put it. I mean, I, when I first graduated, right, I was a, I was a PhD and I was tutoring SAT students. That was my, (laughs) that was what I did. And, and I loved it because I love the freedom it gave me. I totally switched around my priorities going back to mental health. I needed it. I needed my life Mm -hmm. to be my priority and I needed work to facilitate my life. I didn't want, you know, I didn't want to be swallowed up in working all the time anymore. I couldn't do it. It was not, it was not a healthy environment for me. So I think, yeah, finding a company where get your foot in the door, right? I was a part-timer for a little, uh, you know, a year or so before I got my Mm full-time job. And my first job there was a a managing tutors. Not exactly what I wanted to do, but I was interested. I didn't know anything about managerial work, like (laughs) formal managerial work. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, so I learned a lot of corporate skills. I learned the language of the company and then that allowed me to network and then catapult myself to the position I have now. So yeah, absolutely. You know, foot in the door, there's a lot to be said about it, you know, you, um, but for me, it's just been so helpful. And, you know, talking to people who have been in the company for a long time, regularly, people have been at my company for over 10 years. So that says a lot to me. And um, I still prioritize my mental health. That's still something that I keep in check. And I have to create really strict work life boundaries with it. And I'm glad we were able to talk about it. It's something I've yeah. written a lot about and tweeted a lot about and <laughs> um it's something really important to me and so i'm thankful that i'm able to be in a position and work for a company and and have a job where i can prioritize that and where that's easy to do yeah well it's great and again i'm i was super excited before our conversation and now i'm super happy to have had you uh, on the mic do you have a last word maybe for the students who are like in their last year and maybe their graduation is now like indeterminately uh, uh, belated because of this whole thing and they're 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 stressed or they're depressed if you want to leave a last word of maybe encouragement in in this pandemic uh, moment plus if they you know anything that we talked about resonated with them uh, you know with the listener and and they want to reach out to you and ask you some questions or or you know talk with you just talk with you and 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 uh, exchange something with you that that they want to also maybe share how they can how best they can reach you yeah absolutely so i would say if you're close but you're not quite finished yet you're probably understanding the you know why people sometimes don't finish because that last hurdle is really tough i never understood that till i got there um <laughs> a done dissertation is better than a perfect one that seems kind of cliche, but that I had that written on a post-it note and stuck to my computer the whole time. Like, what do I need just to be done? And then if I have to do other stuff after to make it fancier, if I want to publish it, great. But if not, like, just get it done. Um, find a snack that helps you get through it. Peanut M&Ms. Every time I worked on my dissertation, I had to have a little bag of peanut M&Ms. That's what got mm-hmm. me through. So find <laughs> your thing that helps you. But it, it'll... It might take some time, but it'll be it'll be worth it to finish it. You're all that work that you've already put into it. 
you have worked really hard for that degree. You've earned it. So that last little step is really hard. I know that, but just put your head down, keep going. And a done dissertation is better than a perfect dissertation. Mm -hmm. Um, That's great advice. Yeah. And And if they want to reach out to you, if you want to reach out to me, um, my website, uh, you'll have to look how to spell my name, but katieweedemeyer.wordpress.com or I'm on Twitter at krweedemeyer. Um, are the Very best good. places to reach out to me. And of course, I will put all of those links in Perfect. the show notes so people don't don't have to worry about the spelling. That's great. And <laughs> You'll so, be able just to click and find you. Perfect. And I have a whole tab on my website from my grad student advocacy, which has a lot of articles on mental health in grad school, like balancing work-life balance, maintaining your identity. So if grad students are out there, please, it's, they're all linked there if you want to read mm. through them and they can be helpful resources to anybody. Great. Do do read to, to this resource anything anything like this that can help you maybe understand what you're feeling and and understand uh, what resources you might need need at this moment to deal and to and to overcome what you're going through is super super useful. And now we're all at home, so it, it doesn't take a lot of time to click and and read a small article on on could be imposter syndrome or anything yeah. else, yeah. right? And so, your struggles yeah, are ahead. not yours alone. Everyone has had, sim- almost everyone has had similar, or someone else at least has had similar ones. So in sharing sharing my struggles and my journey, that's something that I realize and that I hope a lot of others, no matter where they're at in their career, realize is that what you're going through, you're not alone in it. Someone else has experienced it. So I hope that you'll reach out for help if you need it. Awesome. Katie, this was a great conversation. I'm super, super happy to have had you on the show uh and um yeah i all the best for your projects thank you uh i i think you're doing something i've i've had some experience teaching younger you know doing some outreach with younger kids or uh, and it's true that there's a special thing about seeing someone's eyes you know light and say i understood this thing it's uh it's awesome so all the best for you for your projects and um and um Yeah, uh, thanks for having come on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. If you liked this episode, please share it with at least three friends. If they're new to podcasts, show them how easy it is to subscribe to Papa PhD. Word of mouth recommendations are the most powerful driver of podcast discovery. So if you're a fan and want Papa PhD to succeed, take a moment right now and reach out to them do it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Papa PhD podcast. Head over to papaphd.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non-academic postgrad careers. I'll always be happy to share inspiring stories, new ideas and useful resources here on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests.